the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good day. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Happy Movember 12th. I know you're saying, really? <laughs> Please stop it right there. Okay, I'll stop it right there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'd love a couple calls. Uh, change things up a little bit. I've had a few days off and uh, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. Um, ramping up for the holidays, family issues. I got an old mother. Uh, things along those lines. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. So, one thing that I kind of want to get at is investing. I like talking investing in business in the first hour, sometimes. It bleeds in the second hour. I try to get into a little bit more personal finance issues in the second hour of the show. Um, There's plenty to chat about. You know, we're having a really good year on Wall Street. Um, We're having a really good year on Wall Street. But at times it doesn't feel that way. And we kind of get used to it. And I think that's a very unhealthy situation. If you kind of get my drift... Markets go up, markets go down. They don't always go up. And the sooner you kind of like come to terms with that, probably the better. And I don't mean that to insult you, but I was away for a couple days. And I'll admit, I, I took an eyeball look at some stocks, but that's as far as I went. Um, I didn't get into the details because time off means time off, Right. There's some story stocks I like to follow to see, you know, what exactly is happening in them and or not. But I don't get that caught up in it. Now, coming back, I studied the hell out of it to make sure that I don't, you know, mess up you and your life in any way, shape, or form. Trading volume was light yesterday. That didn't stop the major indices from eking out small gains that resulted in another record close for the S&P 500. Trading volumes being light basically doesn't impress me. Um... I'm trying to come up with a comparison, you know. Maybe it's like the world's most beautiful woman uh, without makeup. 
and you see her with makeup, and you're like, ooh, you see her without makeup, and you're like, eh. So I want the volume to give me, like, yeah, we really can hold this. Negative disposition naturally invites a search for headline casualty today. Before you wade too deep, keep in mind, since the lows on October 15, October 15, remember when you were October 15-ish, and we were like, this could be the market correction. We haven't had a market correction of 10% in forever. This could be it. Ladies and gentlemen, we give you the market uh, bounce back. No. So since October 15th, Russell 2000, NASDAQ composite and SP 500 have risen 13.4%, 13.2%, and 12% respectively. Woo. So if you, you know, on October 15th, if you were, you know, in a 401k and you put money in, you're up. 12%, 13%. Wow. That's long. That's pretty far, pretty fast, right? Alibaba declined 4% after reporting it moved $9.3 billion in gross merchandise in its 24-hour sales event known as Singles Day. Singles Day, I'm kind of digging. I kind of hope America in, takes it on in some way, shape, or form. Um, and what I mean by that is... Singles Day is 11-11. It's single one, single one, single one, single one. And China's turned this into like, hey, you'll actually see Chinese people wearing shirts that say things like, I'm single because I'm fat. And I don't know enough about it, but we need another holiday, especially if it's for young people who are single, or even anyone who's single, to have some love that day. Um, I think it's one of the reasons um, we have hate in our society is because there's the haves and haves-nots with money. There's the haves and haves-nots with love. There's the haves and haves-nots with looks, or what we define as good looks. Five major banks, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan Chase, the Royal Bank of Scotland, HSBC, and UBS have all been fined roughly $3.4 billion collectively by the U.K., Swiss, and U.S. regulators for misdealings in their foreign exchange operations. There's news that the Bank of England Governor Carney doesn't see the bank hitting its 2% inflation target for three years. There's news that the Eurozone industrial production increased a weaker than expected 6 tenths of a percent month over month and that German wholesale prices declined 6 tenths of a percent. So we have some kind of, uh, I would almost call that positive, out of Bank of England. And I would say very, very um, okay tepid okay um okay like your mom's like hey joey you got to go out with the with you know your cousin Lori. but she's got braces joey okay so jm smuckers is warning of a fiscal second quarter sales of earnings per share shortfall there's a stock called smuckers <clears throat> and that's right it's the jam company they've got more than just that but that's a company that i think eventually gets acquired uh, too small. In the world of groceries, you have to be big. Macy's posted better-than-expected earnings, but lowered its full-year earnings per share in comparable same-store sales. We're starting to get Black Friday announcements, and that's kind of already starting to stress me out. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the best day to shop for deals for the holiday period will be Monday the 24th, the Monday before Thanksgiving. Because retailers want to get your cash soon. BB&T is going to acquire Susquehanna Bank shares. I like that when banks buy other banks. That should give other regional banks a boost. There's good news and there's bad news, not unlike most days. The difference is that there's a whole lot of good news that has already been priced in the stock market since the move since mid-October. 
And quite honestly, <clears throat> taking a couple of days off pre-holidays has got me thinking I should not be working as much as I'm working. And there's a little bit of that going on as well. People with money are saying, you know what, I, I don't know if I need to work during the holidays this year. People who, and when I say money, I'm not talking about people who are rich. I'm talking about people who manage money. Um, don't expect, you know, a glorious move. But then again, I think we're overextended in the short term. But there's still some bullish vibes on the market. Profit taking is normal and healthy. I don't see a big correction. I don't see a big rally. If we end the year at these levels, it's been a great year, a very good historical year. So keep that in mind. Anyway, Spotify is telling Taylor Swift, you know, you stand to make $6 million this year and almost $12 million by keeping your music on Spotify. And she can make $12 million a month selling albums on iTunes. It's one of the damnation games that artists play. Um, Taylor Swift's high-profile dumping of Spotify. She does like dumping, doesn't she? Now that, I put, now that I think about it, she's had some relationships not exactly work out. Wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall in her relationship history? Because uh, she hit it big early. And uh, let's just say she's probably figuring things out still to this point. Anyway, um, Spotify's worst nightmare is that more top artists, and it's tough to call her the top artist, but more top artists do what she does and pulls their catalog, especially the newer stuff. Anyway, i got a big event coming up in Foster City, California, Crown Plaza Foster City, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar. It's the last big event of the year for me. Crown Plaza, Foster City, San Mateo, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income. I'm going to be talking about dividend income stocks that I own and what I'm buying. CFP Chad Burton will be there. You can sign up for it November 20th, Thursday at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. I'll be Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about some of the top stories of the day. Alibaba had just a, a fantastic sales day in China. Biggest online shopping day in the world. Like, what? How not that like property of Amazon.com kind of thing? So they set a record. One of the challenges for Chinese e-commerce companies after September's $25 billion IPO of Alibaba, the world's largest IPO, is living up to high expectations. Alibaba seeks to continue to expand the e-commerce company as pursuing more alliances with major tech companies. It's in discussions with Apple to team up on mobile payments in China. A possible scenario is for Alibaba's financial affiliate to provide back-end services for Apple's pay, payment system. They're doing everything right. Now, you may not think of Alibaba as a threat right now, but they are a threat to Facebook. They are a threat to Amazon. They are a threat to eBay. 
Um, China's anti-Valentine's Day has handily surpassed the United States Black Friday as the world's most lucrative online shopping day. Really? Like, whoa. I, most people don't know that. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, other things out there. Walmart is abandoning its frenzied one-day-only Black Friday sales model, and it's going to go for the whole week. The world's biggest retailer instead is now offering its best deals on television sets, toys, and other gifts over a five-day period beginning in the last week of November into early December. Walmart also is going to have some of its deepest discounts online to better cater to shoppers who have gone mobile. It used to be called Black Friday, then it became Thursday, and now it's a week-long event. Like, really? I'll be honest with you. Like, I'm so in love with people who, like, aren't materialistic. Like, isn't the best thing to do, like, to go camping and turn off your phone for three or four days and decompress? Isn't, like, chilling out on the couch eating corn chips so much better than a 50-inch TV for your loved one? Don't answer that, please. I don't want to get so depressed that I want to die. Mortgage rates and applications barely moved last week. Total application volume fell nine-tenths of a percent. Do you have a mortgage? Do you want me to stop talking about mortgages? Um, I, I kind of get the sense that the mortgage story is a little played out in the United States because rates have been so low for so long. Now, first-time homebuyers love them. United States President Barack Obama and Chinese President Xi Jinping reached landmark climate deal with the U.S. pledging to slash greenhouse gas emission by 26% by 2025 from 2005 levels, and China is agreeing to reach peak carbon emissions by 2030. I'm pretty sure that most major industrial cities in China, if you walk you know, 20 minutes outside, it's like smoking two or three packs of cigarettes a day. The climate agreement signals the first time that China, the world's top carbon polluter, has committed to greenhouse gas emissions cap. Um, other big stories out there today, we're doing final preparations to put a probe on a comet. I always think this is a bad idea. We weren't meant to, like, mess with comets, but we will. Uh, Sierra Leone is going to pay $5,000 to the family of any health worker who dies of Ebola from treating an infected patient. Does that not make you feel pathetic? It kind of makes me feel a little pathetic, like... I value life at a lot higher than $5,000. But that tells you what life is like in Sierra Leone right now, too. It's brutal. And that story's not going to peak until 2015. Minimum. Hmm. The European Court of Justice had a president in ruling that says member states can deny certain payments to unemployed European Union citizens who move there just to claim benefits. Interesting. An icy blast of air from the Arctic has caused temperatures to drop dramatically in about two-thirds of the continental United States. What's interesting to note about this is that it seems to be getting a little bit colder. In Denver, temperatures dropped from 65 degrees to 38 in a mere half hour. Ooh, that is chilly. That is a big drop. The old polar vortex is visiting us again, and there's always a polar vortex somewhere, but it seems to be hitting the United States a little bit more. That will slow down business conditions. Big nightmare would be for a polar vortex to hit. Ooh, right around Thanksgiving. 
and then right around Christmas. Um, so think about that. You know, slower economic conditions, if it gets out of control, um, natural gas would be a play as people don't want to die, so they're going to turn up the heaters. Oil might be in play with a really cold winter. So the oil drillers might get a little bit of reprieve because oil prices have dropped egregiously on them. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Um, in large part, I think people are assuming that you know, well, oil will hold these levels. And I remember talking to CFP Chad Burton not too long ago, about two weeks ago, where he was like, 70. 70 will be the bottom. And, you know, most experts agree with that. I'm not in the business of most experts. I'm in the business of, like, showing you some of the extremes and saying, okay, do find a happy medium that works for you. But... Saudi Arabia came out with something that was pretty fascinating. Let's see where oil is right now. 77. OPEC's analysis of future global oil demand growth rests largely on prospects for China's growth. So they've gone out of their way to say that some of the price of oil in the future is dependent on assumptions about China. Now, here's the problem with that. A huge chunk of demand that's expected to come, both directly and indirectly, from one country in particular, China, China's expected to grow at you know, an average 7% between 2014 and 2020, and over 5% between 2020 and 2040. That growth rate would see China rip past the United States on purchasing power and become the world's largest economy. The report states that you know, China's GDP will considerably exceed you know, each of the uh, regions in the world by in 2040. So the last time it was forecasting double-digit growth on a five-year horizon was 2009. And some people expect the Chinese economy to struggle to reach growth expectations. So what does this all mean, basically, is that OPEC is banking on China's growth to soak up any falls in oil demand in the Western world, slowly weans itself off the commodity. Um, If that demand doesn't materialize, then the cartel will have a much more difficult time and ability to influence global oil prices that are crucial to its members' ability to plan economic policy. And that could create a disruption. Rather than China becoming more addicted to oil, it seems OPEC is increasingly addicted to Chinese growth. It's interesting to note, I'm not predicting a crash in oil, but there's some scenarios out there where it goes much lower. Just know that. You invest your money in a company like Exxon or a Chevron or an oil driller or a company that makes minerals and solutions for fracking a worst case scenario could hit is it likely no but it could hit markets are lower today at this point who cares i should just say it like it is we're having an up year this year and we're having a really big 30-day push just note that we're a little overextended i'm rob black
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Um, one of the top ten lists that I like throwing out there on occasion is tied towards football players or just athletes. The twenty, the, the top ten highest paid athletes in football of all time. You know, the, the, it would probably shock you. I mean, I could even go and go like the top twenty. You know, Richard Seymour, who? <laughs> exactly who? Um, Ninety-seven million dollars in his twelve years. Donovan McNabb, ninety-seven million dollars in his thirteen seasons. Mario Williams. I know you're saying Mario Williams, number one overall draft pick. He pulled in ninety-seven. Aaron Rodgers has already pulled in ninety-nine point six million in ten seasons. Calvin Johnson pulled in one hundred and one million through eight seasons. Uh, Matthew Stafford has pulled in 101 million through six seasons, and what has he done? Championship zero, Pro Bowl zero, first uh, All Pro, no. Champ Bailey, 102 season, 102 million dollars over 15 years. Then Roethlisberger's, 11 seasons, 105 million dollars, but he's won two championships, two Pro Bowls appearances. Tony Romo, he goes to a lot of Pro Bowls, three, but zero championships, 105 million dollars. So this is where the list starts getting interesting. Michael Vick, number 10, $107 million over 12 seasons. Keep in mind, he missed two seasons where he probably would be add on another $20 million because he was making pretty good money. He was making, you know, his single season salary highest was $27 million. Carson Palmer, who <laughs> Raider fans know all too well, he's pulled in $117 million with zero championships. Larry Fitzgerald, $118 million through 11 seasons. Just, you know, a monster of a receiver on a, a pretty stink team for many, 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 many years. Philip Rivers pulled in $120 million through 11 seasons. Then the numbers start getting big. Drew Brees, $131 million through 14 seasons. He once made $40 million in one season. $37 million was signing bonus. But he's won one championship. Brett Favre, for 20 years that he played, he pulled in $137 million. He only won one championship in 20 years. Julius Peppers. I know you're saying, really, a defensive player. Number four on the list at $138 million. Um, Eli Manning, $150 million. Eli Manning has won two championships. Give him credit. He's kind of like the dodgy, skirty little brother of Peyton Manning. But he's pulled in pretty good numbers. Tom Brady's pulled in $154 million And number one on the list, Peyton Manning, $229 million. Let's pull in CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He joins the show on a regular basis. He's with NewFocusFinancial.com. It's NewFocusFinancial.com. One of the areas that I like to talk about are some of the basics. Um, I think the number one thing that you have to do when thinking about retirement, Chad, is set some priorities. You know, when you're in your 20s, like you just want to go to the Great Wall of China, you want to meet hot chicks, but you have to have grander priorities than that, like a vacation home, a retirement income. Yeah, it's, well, and the thing that you have to realize too is that priorities change based on different phases of your life. Um, so priorities aren't static. Um, you have to have somebody helping you make sure that your priorities are realistic though. Okay. Um, 
you know, for example, the, the, the common scenario that you and I see is um, younger parents or single parents where they, they, they talk about their main priority is sending their kids to college. And really, it should be making sure that you're going to eventually someday be able to retire because there's other ways we can help kids get through college, whether it's loans or whatever it may be. But your early years in terms of saving and plugging enough money away in your 20s and 30s so that it's there to grow for the next 40 years is extremely important. So whenever anybody comes in, I, we have them write down um, their top three financial concerns at this time. And it it will change based on your age, based on your family dynamics and how your family changes, whether it's you just got married, you just had children, you're empty nesters, you just got a divorce, priorities change. Yeah, you should really focus on the big ticket, long range plans. You know, that's where the big costs come in, you know, weddings, retirement, um, college costs, retirement homes, um, kind of creating a bucket list of high end priorities versus low end priorities. Um, what are some of your bucket lists as far as priorities go on things you have to fund in your lifetime? Um, you know, something that I need to fund is, is more travel since I started in this business so early um, and then had kids, three children. Um, I invest very globally, but I, I, I really want to go see personally a lot of the places that I invest in that I depend on some of the really good managers to to know really, really well. But yeah, Like, you want to go to Asia? Yeah, I would like to. I would like to go to a lot of different places. Yeah. However, I'm going to save that till later in life because my big priorities right now are to do things that my body's still able to do, like snowboard with my kids and do all the stuff that I know my knees are going to be wrecked by the time I'm 50 from yeah. all the stuff that you, you've seen me do. So I'll travel then. I'll be around in my little scooter on the wall of China. On the wall of China. <laughs> the Great Wall of China. I hear it's pretty great. Yes, I hear it's great as well. It's kind of interesting because like, I have no interest in Asia just because I'm not a fish guy and I know you could probably get non-fish meals in Asia. Just they're heavily relying on fish. Therefore, I have a bias that I don't really want to go to Asia. Okay. Well, I know. Odd, right? It's not one of your priorities. So one of my priorities is um, a retirement home. Um, I want comfort. I don't want on Golden Pond, but I want mm-hmm. you know to slow things down because I've worked pretty hard in my 20s and 30s. So when I hit my 50s and 60s, I kind of want to slow things down. Yeah. And – you know, people, sometimes when you ask them what their priorities are, and the first one they say, I want to retire by 65, and then you go through their other priorities, whether it's a vacation home, an RV, a home remodel, um, buying a specific new car, and that's something that people forget to leave out of their financial plan, is is they're going to need a new car every 10 years on average. Um, and so those types of cash flow items, weddings, helping grandkids with college, those have to be projected out in your long-term cash flow analysis so that you can see where that money's going to come from. And when you sell stocks to pay for those items or when you pull money out of your IRAs to pay for those items, that also is going to create a bit of a tax issue at those times. And so that all has to be figured in to say, do I have enough to really retire? Or is it better to say, maybe I'll work another two years or maybe five years part-time so that I can be retired plus achieve these other goals? Some of my priorities are amass enough wealth so that I could retire comfortably, um, pay for kids that college education is lower. It's not as high as enough. You know, I'm more about the wealth because if you have wealth, if you have a 401k that's got a lot of money in it, you can always pay for the kids' college that way. I want to buy a house. I want to get out of debt. You know, when you have priorities, write them down because then your next step is to say, how much debt do I have? How long will it take me to get it? Um, if I want to buy a house, what size house do I want to buy? How much is it going to cost? you got to write down your priorities. You just can't have them in your head so that you know, you're know you comfortable. You have to write them down and, and get real with it, right. as Dr. Phil would say. Certain priorities will 
conflict with each other. In other words, you might say, Mike, I want to invest aggressively and go as much growth as possible, but in two years I need to put a down payment on a house. Those two things conflict because you can't invest super aggressive with funds that you're going to need in two years. It just it, Those two things won't work together. You know, so there's a happy medium. Somewhere. You know, Dr. Phil has a degree in physiology. <laughs> he's not a therapist. He's not, he's not any of that stuff. So, I don't know. It just shows you how bogus he could be and get by as a bogus sham in your life. Yeah, that's, that's the case. Let me just look at Lance Armstrong. Oh, yeah. Cheating pays, though, is what I learned. <laughs> He's worth a quarter of a hey, billion kids, dollars. Hey, kids, the lesson of this segment is... Performance-enhancing drugs will take you far in your career. Until you get caught. <laughs> yeah, he was such... Oh, I'm not even going to go into his little crocodile tear moments in his life. Um, what was bad about him is how many people that he hurt covering up his lies. It's you know, okay to lie. He was? Yeah, he was just a nasty, mean, vile person. Speaking of nasty, mean, vile persons... CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black, but he, again, is the one that only Chad Burton. You can email him, chad at chadburton.com. You can email me, Rob, at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. Big event coming up in about eight days. It's the last one of the year, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. It's in Foster City. Um, It's a good event. It's one of our newer events. Trying to secure a financial future, tax-efficient investing, social security benefits, what to do, what not to do, outliving your savings. I've known two people now under the age of 40, under the age of 35, whose mom or dad have died. Okay, one of the two parents have died and has left the other one just reeling for an understanding of wealth, an understanding of money. You don't want to be that person. You kind of want to grasp the stuff. You want to educate yourself. Um, I do a... A very low-key, you know, event, 10 Pillars Retirement Planning coming up in Foster City. It's Thursday evening. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's a great way of supporting the show. I've seen a lot of people out there. I get that you're listening. It's in San Mateo. It's got easy location to 92, San Jose, San Francisco, to Google, to Visa, to any major company in the peninsula. It's uh, you know, pretty darn middle of the road, so to speak. Uh, Foster City, 630 to 9, uh, 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. You can sign up for it today at robblack.com. That's not this Thursday. It's the following Thursday. So it is just right around the corner. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Shamu the whale? No. Not my first girlfriend. But Shamu the whale! Ain't helping SeaWorld. 
SeaWorld reported a third quarter income that fell 28%. And theme park operator stock tanks on that news. Decline in SeaWorld shares follows a 30% one-day decline back in August after the earnings tanked. Now, to be fair, the company reported earnings of $87 million, which ain't too shabby. I'll take it. But that's down from $120 million the prior year. So SeaWorld, publicly traded stock. Now, in the world of entertainment, how many options do we need to invest in? Not how many options do we need to consume. How many options do we need to invest in? I say one or two. Americans are going to spend money on entertainment. There's no doubt about it. My choice would be Disney. Now, after a company falls 30% in just a couple of days, it creates an opportunity for you as an investor. Like, maybe the pain is played out here. Um, then again, maybe not, you know. I don't know. I don't want to predict for you how to do your investments. But I, I would just caution, be cautious. You know, like, as an investor, Disney's not tanking for a reason. It's like finding a mate with 32 teeth versus finding a mate with 16 going, ah, she can get fillers. Like Something she did was not, or something they did, wasn't taking care of themselves. And just because you can get some fake teeth doesn't mean you're going to be like, all that in a bucket of chicken one day. Now, Disney ain't cheap. It's always at a 52-week high, it feels like. A couple weeks ago, it went from $90 a share down to $82 a share when the market was getting kind of scary. Very scary. So now you know when the market gets scary, that stock could fall 7 8 9%. Pretty easy. Put it on your shopping list. You're not going to get a 20% correction in Disney unless something's really bad like a terrorism kind of scenario. But they've got the movie industry locked up for the foreseeable future. Let's talk about some of the other big stories of the day. You know, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Royals Bank Scotland, HSBC, UBS, all have settled um, with regulators for misdealings on foreign exchange operations. I think that's important to note because the demon known versus the demon unknown is one of the things that drives Wall Street. Um... So now we don't have to worry, like, how big is the, how big is the number going to be? How bad is it going to be? Um, demon known versus demon unknown. As these banks have been able to settle legal issues, it has created a wonderful scenario for them in the sense that they've put aside money. They've put aside money. They've put aside money. Uh, now they don't have to put aside money and they can just pay off their fines. So the numbers become a little bit easier to play with. SP 500 is down 5, the Dow is down 52, the NASDAQ down 8. Walmart has sent out an urgent memo urging improvements at U.S. stores. They issued this urgent agenda memo to its store managers across the United States, laying out guidelines to boost sales of chilled and fresh food. The memo marked highly sensitive, asked Walmart marketing managers to make sure they discount aging meat and baked goods to maximize chances of selling them before expiration dates. That's something I'll do. If I go into like a Safeway and 
the food's about to expire, hey, guess what I'm cooking that night? But I get 40% off. Absolutely. Walmart has posted six quarters in a row of flat or declining same-store sales growth. It's been battling a stronger dollar and a reduction in the U.S. food stamp benefits, eating into their budget of their core customer. Can you imagine? We have a publicly traded company, publicly traded company, that basically, I'm not going to say lives, I'm not going to say feasts, off their core customer getting food stamps from the American public. Taxpayers, obviously, are flipping the bill. Does that make you mad? Does that make you want to invest? Does that tell you something's wrong with the world? The memo also advises stores to be sure to rotate dairy products and eggs, which means removing expired items and adding new stock at the bottom and back of display cases. little trick for you. I always buy all my produce from the back of the display case, whether it's food, meat, vegetables, uh, you name it. That's where I'm getting my food from. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. S&P 500 entered the session today after climbing 12% from its mid-October low. That's a big move. And to give you an example, like if I go to the gym today and I'm bench pressing 200 pounds, and then 300 pounds the next day, and 400 pounds the next day, and then 500 pounds, or if I'm running a 10-minute mile, a 9-minute mile, an 8-minute mile, a 7-minute diet mile, at some point in time, I need a day off. Same thing with the market. Yen remains active amid continued speculation about a potential dissolution of parliament. Hmm. Consumer discretionary, and it's um, tied towards Japan, by the way. Japan at seven-year highs. Consumer discretionary, doing well. Industrials, materials, telco services, weakness in consumer staples, energy, financials, healthcare, and utilities. Some other financial news of note today. The 10-year treasury sits at 2.33%. Gold sits at 11.64 an ounce. As dollar gets stronger, commodities get weaker. Gold and oil, obviously getting the two, two biggest smacks of it. Because they're the headlines that people want to hear about. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Big event coming up on Thursday, not too far from the distance future, um, November 20th in Foster City. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW.
Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. I'll hit a couple emails later in the show. Rob at robblackshow.com. Um, let's see. I think to sum things up, we've come a long way, very far on Wall Street. It is a seasonally favorable time of year, October, November, December. Historically, you get what's called a Santa Claus rally. Maybe you get a budget flush. A lot of money coming into the economy. That's a plus, but we also run up 12% from October lows. So when we were correcting a little bit, and we didn't correct much, we let some steam out of some sectors, we create an opportunity for a bounce, and it's bounced. How high does that ball bounce? Not usually this high. Uh, until you get another little bit of a pullback. Think of it as 12 steps forward, one step back. No, 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 no. Um, so that's one of the big stories right now. I think that people are watching and being kind of consumed about. Trading volume very light. Markets hit a record high yesterday. You know, intraday highs, I don't care. I'm looking at the big picture of the year. I'm looking at the big picture of, you know, the, you know, the quarter. Um, the trends. I'm not, day by day, I don't care. BB&T acquiring Susquehanna Bank shares, I think, is a positive. Two regional banks, big 36% premium. Citigroup, JP Morgan Chase, the Royal Bank of Scotland, HSBC, and UBS, all basically been fined roughly $3.4 billion by the UK, Swiss, and U.S. regulators for misdealings of their foreign exchanges. Um, to me, that's good news. That's putting a bad story behind you. You always feel better after you get that bad story behind you. Alibaba declined slightly after reporting it moved $9.3 billion in gross merchandise on their 24-hour online sales event known as Singles Day. That is the biggest day ever for online sales. Like, whoa, are you kidding me? Just like out of nowhere, they're that and a bucket of chicken? Uh, yep. So that's a company to watch in the future. Yahoo's buying video ad service Brightroll for $640 million. Seems a little pricey, but it bolsters their positions in the growing part of the digital advertising market. Revenue from the online video ads may surge 56% this year. Bright Roll is terrific, strategic, and financially compelling, so says Marissa Mayer. A lot of people think she could have got a smaller uh, version for much cheaper. Will Ferrell's Funny or Die seeks serious money. Um, let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Talk a little bit of uh, CFP Chad Burton. Mr. Burton question for you. We talk about setting priorities to get to where you want to in your life, you know, enough money for retirement, enough money for a house, enough money for your kid's college, enough money for an emergency fund. But that's only step one. Step two has to be having a budget. A budget's not fun. A budget's not sexy. You know, most people live paycheck to paycheck and they kind of hope that they have enough money in the last two, three, four days of the month and that they're not bouncing checks. Let's talk budgets. Well, yeah, and, and let's talk about the fact that you know people come in and everything runs off your budget. I mean, even yeah. your asset allocation, especially in retirement, um, your whole asset allocation, how much you have in cash, stocks, bonds, real estate, it, it's all driven on how much you're going to spend at a gross level in retirement from your income needs to pay to keep the lights on, the entertainment, the taxes, the health care costs. It, it's all run based on the budget. And a lot of people come in for a financial plan right? Without having done the work on their own. How much do you spend on a monthly basis? And you, and you hear this on the radio all the time. People are, they call in and they were asked, they're asked that question. They him and hum, they don't really know. So when you have a budget, 
it's kind of humiliating because, again, you start factoring in just strange concepts. Phil Mickelson, he was got famous for basically saying California was too expensive for him, that his taxes, his 39% income tax, his 13% state income tax, so that's 52% right there, his 6% payroll tax. Oh, my. He's like, when he's all said and done, he's like, I'm paying 62 to 63% of my income to taxes. And then you get people like me who say you got to save 15% of your salary. So he's right there at 77% of his income goes out the door before he has anything to spend on coffee, cars, houses, his wife. <laughs> What's well, his marginal bracket? So first of all, if he's really at that rate, he needs to get a new advisor and a new CPA. <laughs> so, but it is it, it is it is hard because there's so many things you can do, especially when you're self-employed like yeah. like that guy is, um, to to shelter that. Um, you know Phil Milk. You know who Phil Milk. Yeah, the golfer. Okay, right. left. Um, look, the, the the thing is, is that you've got you can't do any financial planning until you get a handle on your spending. Until you you really sit there and itemize what you do. And if you're wealthy, you don't tend to say I'm only going to spend X number of dollars per month on eating out. You tend to just track it so that you know on a quarterly basis are you above or below where you projected yourself to be on an annual basis. And and that's part of your annual financial review, if not biannual review, is to say. What did I spend over the last six to 12 months versus what I projected myself to spend? Right. And there's so many tools out there. Um, our clients get a wealth management site that tracks all their investments, does all their projections. It also can track their spending, much like Mint.com um, can do. LearnVest is another – LearnVest.com is another uh, place that has a tool like that that's had some good reviews. It's the first step. Before you hire a financial advisor, you really need to get a handle on your expenses because it might be your own eye-opener to say, oh, I spend too much money in this area. And I could be saving that for retirement. Yeah, I spend too much money on restaurants, that's for sure. Yeah. And until you actually have software like Mint or you know, any sort of budgeting software, you can't really be honest with yourself. And again, I like the visual. When you see it and you're like, whoa, I spent $18,000 last year on restaurants. You're like, that's a lot of money. I could have eaten at home and saved a ton. Well, and it, it will also, based on your zip code and your region, it'll tell you how much other families are spending in those same categories. So you can get an idea. Are you way overboard? Or are you in line with what the average person is doing? Anything else that we need to know about budgeting? Um, when it's longer-term budgeting and forecasting, again, it's being realistic about how you want life to be okay. and, and figuring those items in so you can make those decisions, as we talked about many times before. Is it sometimes just working a couple of more years can allow you to achieve so many more of your goals at a more safe level in terms of how much money you have to live till age 100 versus retiring at a specific age. So if you're 50 years old and you're projecting outward, say, I still want to have this RV. I want to have this vacation home. I want to be able to remodel my house. Setting those into your longer-term budget and cash flow will help you be realistic about your retirement date. Uh, and too many people are retiring early, or they retire, and then they come in for a plan after that, and it's a very painful conversation. And I've seen people literally in tears to, to, and tell them, you, you retired too soon. You should have seen me before you turned in your notice. It's pretty common. Yeah. Because there's kind of an arrogance of it. There's kind of a, I'm all powerful, and then you realize you're really not all that powerful, and it really wasn't that much money. And it's tough to get rehired later in life. Especially in, yeah, there's a lot of age discrimination. Do you ever do anything tricky with your budget? Like, um, for instance, a lot of uh, businesses have toilet paper in the staff bathrooms. Do you ever, like, say, I'll save some money on my groceries and my toilet paper buying by just stopping off at work and grabbing some? 
<laughs> Those are tough times. I've been so I, haven't, I haven't done that. I do. I will take a ream of paper home for my home printer. But other than that, I remember in college. I don't think I ever paid for, uh, toilet paper. That's all I'll say. <laughs> I'm sticking to that story. And Lysol. You know how workplaces always have cans of Lysol laying around. Yeah. Anyhow. I'm Rob Black. That's CFP Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner. He manages people with wealth. You can find out more about him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I do have a big event coming up with CFP Chad Burton, Redwood Shores. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, the 20th. It's the last event of the year. It's the 10 Pillars of Retirement Planning. Sign up at robblack.com. grass, not marijuana, but a rebate that property owners get for changing their lawns to drought-resistant foliage as the state enters its fourth year of severe drought. Rebates to replace water-intensive lawns with turf grass started in 2009 in California, changing over. Um, because of the drought, a lot of people, 77% of businesses want a different landscape. Uh, whether you go to state parks or universities, you're seeing you know, less and less water being used on lawns. A three-bedroom house in California uses 174,000 gallons of water a year. That's a lot. 57% of that amount is used for landscaping, though some analysts think that figure is a little too high. Anyway, thinking about things around your home um, and ways to save money. It's odd to think about, but like during winter, I'm like, let's just wear a sweater tonight kind of thing. I'm not a big guy in heating a home. The cash investment in it is the, the return is just poor at best. Let's talk about other real estate ideas with Tony Mendez. Let's welcome in Tony Mendez. Tony Mendez is a mortgage lender. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony, fixing your credit. That's something we've all been there, gotten into a late payment. I have one in the last five years. And my story is kind of goofy. It was a mortgage payment that Mm -hmm. I sent in the payment. They didn't cash the check. Uh-oh. Then they notify me, and they say, okay, now that you're almost late, send it to this P.O. box. And I thought I did. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah, and that's the worst one to pay late is the mortgage, especially if you're looking at other kind of uh, real estate transactions, because it really hangs on there for quite a while, no matter what your credit score is. It dinged my credit? Yeah. Uh, credit score has the biggest effect on your uh, rate and almost any product that you're going to get, whether it's a credit card, a car loan, or a mortgage. The mortgage obviously is going to be the largest expense because you're going to pay that over 30 years and it can really add up. The difference between a 640 score and a 740 score on a, a traditional type of, of loan is about 1%. On a $400,000 loan, that's $200 a month more that you're spending because you have a lower credit score. So the first thing I would do is get a copy of your credit report. You can go to annualcreditreport.com or you can go to your creditor. Let's say you're doing a, a transaction of some sort. Hopefully, they'll be able to show you the, the, the credit report. Check for accuracy. Make sure that everything's on there. And if there's some things that you can fix that are easy, try to do it on your own or use that creditor. If they're a lot more difficult, then you can try using some of these invasive 
credit card companies and they uh, credit repair companies and they can range in price from eighty five dollars a month to a one time two thousand three thousand dollar fee depending on how bad it is and how um, what's the necessity of of how quickly you need it so what's ironic or what's odd about a credit score is you have to use credit and maintain credit to have a good credit score. Right. There's a lot of misconceptions about how to keep your credit good and how to improve your credit. I, for instance, grew up as a young man thinking, if I have no credit card debt, they'll love me because I pay off my credit card, where Mm -hmm. a credit card company wants you to carry a balance because that's how they make money. And it's also how the it's part of their algorithms that they use to calculate your actual credit. You have to use your credit cards. The best way to do on a credit card, for example, is to have a balance below thirty um, percent of the limit. So if you have a limit of ten thousand, you want to keep it below three thousand. But you want to keep using it. You, you definitely want to, don't want to pay it off every month. Your credit score will be lower than somebody who actually has ten credit cards they pay on time and keep their balances low. Another way to keep your credit uh, clean is is keep keep accounts open and don't close them but definitely make sure you manage and they don't get stolen and 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 that brings up another point too you also want to keep you want to keep them open on your account well before we go there keeping your credit lines open Mm -hmm. ages the account the average years that you've had credit so if you open up a lot of new credit cards mm -hmm. you're you've only had credit maybe from five years will go down to one year because you just opened five new credit cards so Correct. All, all those years of, of paying on time just got watered down because you opened up too many new credit cards. Yeah, there's there's several factors that will affect your credit, um, your lower balances, uh, accuracy, collections, time, new accounts. Uh, the, there's three bureaus. There's Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, and add a .com at the end of each one of those, and you can go and get your own credit report. You can also d- do disputes. This is when you want to do your fixing your credit on your own. You can do a dispute through that agency or that bureau. Um, or you can use your creditor to do what they call rapid rescores. If you need a really quick transaction and there's something easy, maybe it was a, a mistake on your credit report, you can show up a bill and say, I did really pay this, and you can do a rapid rescore. And sometimes there's a big difference. Like if you're doing a rental property and you're buying an investment property, there's minimum scores you need to meet if you have a certain down payment. And some people need to do these types of rapid rescores. So getting in front of your credit is important. We talked about monitoring your credit. There's some good tools that you use. For instance... Credit Karma is one. Credit Karma. That's an app on a phone. It's an it's an app, but what it and it may not be the most effective tool to managing your your credit, but it gets you involved. It's it tells you that all your accounts that are on there, what your balances are, and it also alerts you if this if new new entries come up, new inquiries, and and new credit. So it's a way that people get involved, and I think that everyone should be involved in their credit because it has such an impact in the in the financial industry. Good idea. And one last final thought that I want to throw out there is. To improve your credit score, go out and get a credit. You know, go put a thousand dollars on your credit card and start paying it off slowly. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you really, really, really want to improve your credit, that's one way of doing it. Show that you could pay on time. We've been talking with Tony Mendez with BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. AT&T is going to pause investments to bring fiber connections to 100 cities until regulators in the United States iron out rules to regulate how Internet service providers manage their web traffic. President Barack Obama talked a little net neutrality uh, issues and calling the Internet a utility. And AT&T doesn't necessarily see that. Um, AT&T says, we can't go out and invest that kind of money deploying fiber to 100 cities not knowing what the rules of investments are going to be governed under. Interesting. 
Uh, I would refer that as a loser of AT&T because not investing in CapEx, capital expenditures at this point in time, it will allow your customers to continue to kind of lap you a little bit. Um, speaking about customers, Ford gets the aluminum F-150 ready for prime time. Ford's using the metal almost exclusively in body of its 2015 version of its best-selling F-150 truck, which has been a monster seller for the company. The question is, going from U.S. steel to aluminum, will that freak people out? Um, Mustangs could eventually make the switch from steel to aluminum. Um, but some people are going out and buying extra 2014 pickups from Ford just in case. Uh, Ford is doubling down on aluminum, which is lighter and more expensive than steel, but just as tough, so says some. New truck is the company's response to customers' requests for a more fuel-efficient um, and nimbler pickup. Ford hopes the advantages outweigh customer doubts. It's a big risk, though. Morgan Stanley estimates F-Series trucks account for about 90% of Ford's global automotive profit. Anyhow, uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Big event coming up. Hopefully I'll see you out. You can find out more information at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. It is a Thursday night, the 20th event in Foster City. It's on the 10 pillars of retirement income. Plus, I'm going to go over dividend stocks, which ones I'm buying and why, which ones I hold and why. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. We've got Thanksgiving coming up. We've got the holidays coming up. Um, it's interesting to watch from a distance, you know, the consumer. I saw a study out today that nearly one in ten families won't celebrate gift-giving, and I kind of like that. Let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen, chiefeconomistbriefing.com. Dr. Jeff, the holidays coming up, big business, big part of the economy. Um, is it getting softer from your historical trends, or are we as robust as ever in our holiday spending? I don't know if we can say we're as robust as ever. I mean, I would assume that uh, when interest rates were low and credit was easy back in the uh, you know mid 2000s, we were probably spending more you know, than we are now in terms of uh, per capita. I mean, the savings rate's much higher now than it was in the past, so. Yeah, things are fine, but uh, you know, in terms of historical precedences, we're we're growing at a slower rate. Now, growing at a slower rate, um, we as Americans, when we have jobs, we tend to spend. Um, I was reading a report out of Europe that basically said a lot of the jobs that have been created are low-paying jobs. I think there's a lot of the same truth to be said in the United States that we've, yeah, we're at better employment numbers than we were at five years ago or three years ago, but the jobs aren't high-paying tax 
big bonuses kind of jobs. Is there truth to that concept that we've replaced high-paying jobs with low-paying jobs? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily that we replaced high-paying with low-paying, but what we've done is we haven't given uh, big increases in wages to people that are working. So, you know, I was doing actually a study for a client of ours, and he was wondering, you know, how have wages changed, you know, today compared to, let's say, 2006. And if you look at aggregate wages, so you just take the payroll number, multiply it by the number of hours worked, and multiply that number by the uh, the average hour earnings, you know, and then you take that and make it a real number so you get rid of inflation, you know, real aggregate wages have only increased 6% since, uh, you know, early 2006. So we have a lot to go. You know, we, sure, we've had jobs recovering, but we haven't seen wages grow with those job recovers. So, you know, all in all, economic growth hasn't performed very well, you know, over the last, you know, eight years. Now, we did get jobs numbers on Friday and we haven't really chatted about those yet. What were those numbers, and how did you perceive those to play out as far as positive or negative? I mean, the numbers were fine, but they were disappointing in terms of, you know, the overall trends and where we were going. I mean, we, we gained 200,000 jobs. You need to gain about 120 every month just to uh, match normal population growth to keep the unemployment rate, you know, quote, steady. Uh, the fact that we grew more than that means that you should have a downward ticket on employment. The problem is that you know, since the recession started, you know, a lot of people have left the labor force, so the unemployment rate really isn't matching what, uh, you know, what those numbers really say. So if you take the idea of that we were at full employment right at the, at the peak of the uh, previous uh, recovery or previous business cycle, and you add 120,000 every month just based on saying that's what the normal labor force growth would have been. We needed that many jobs since, since that time. You, know, you don't recover all your jobs until, uh, you know, 2020, 2021. So, you know, we, we've, we've done well, but we're not accelerating a pace that needs to be, you know, that needs to be in order to, to really get back everything that we've lost. You recently penned a piece for Briefing.com, and you are the chief economist of Briefing.com, and you join us graciously every week. And one of the best Christmas gifts people can get each other this year is a subscription to Briefing.com if they're investors or thinking about the market, for sure, because the insight's valuable. You recently penned something called the payroll gap, and I don't feel it. My life seems to get better and better. Or my wages seem to get better and better. I'm not bragging, but I don't feel it. Is there something beneath me? And when I travel to, like, uh, Mammoth or Lake Tahoe, I do see like there's a lot of people who are struggling to make ends meet. Is there a wage gap issue in America? It's not necessarily a wage gap issue. The payroll gap that I was talking about was specifically the fact that, yeah, we've recovered all the private jobs that we've lost during the recession, but we didn't need to just recover what we lost. We needed to gain uh, jobs during the recession to have met natural uh, population growth. So the fact is, you know, yeah, things are looking better in terms of payrolls have recovered, but they haven't recovered enough to include everything that was lost during the recession. So we're still out, you know, 8 million jobs, you know, for the entire 
payroll. And if we want to just take out demographics and look at uh, working age men, for example, so between the ages of 24 and uh, 54, you know, we're out two and a half million jobs. You know, we're, we're still missing a whole bunch of employment. So there's a lot of people that we would typically find employed right now, but are unemployed, and, and that's dragging the economy. Anything else? I'm sorry. Anything else, economically speaking, that you're seeing out there as far as ominous or positive? Well, you know, one of the great things about the internet and, and the blogospheres is that uh -huh. you get a lot of you know heterodoxical economic theories. So you know, you, you take the Austrians. It's not a typical classical theory of economics, and but you know, you can learn about it. And before the internet, you didn't get all this. You know, it was relegated to the back pages of, of some some journal that you would never read. And you know, a new thing that came out over the last month has been talking about this idea called neo-fisherism. And basically, it's the idea that uh, we have it all wrong in terms of the way um, the interest rates work on inflation. You know, typically we say that interest rates go up. You know that reduces output, which lowers inflation. And this new theory says that, no, if we're going to increase interest rates, it will actually increase inflation and increase output. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I necessarily believe it. And, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's an idea that you probably wouldn't have heard of at all if the Internet didn't exist. But it's starting to get some play, and uh, John Cochrane of the University of Chicago was talking about it, and it was a Bloomberg article about it last week, and basically saying that um, you know the Fed keeping interest rates at zero has hurt the recovery. You know, the Japanese deflationary problem keeping interest rates at zero has kept that country from experiencing greater inflation and greater growth. So the idea is that once the Fed, you know, starts increasing the interest rates, you know, and we're talking about that happening sometime shortly, that actually should spark a big boom in, you know, economic growth. You know, it will not be a, a harmful matter because the harm is actually keeping interest rates low. So it'll be interesting if this plays out, and we really can't test that theory until the Fed starts raising rates. But you know, the idea that rates will start rising, you know, very soon, you know, gives you the idea that hey, if we start seeing you know strong growth at the end of 2015, 2016, you know, maybe we had this backwards. Maybe that you know raising interest rates does in fact uh, help with economic growth, and you know, the idea that you that keep reducing interest rates to zero. Was a, was a harmful measure. It's interesting that you bring up that conversation. What would life look like if we didn't have a Federal Reserve? If Can you hypothetically build a case for us of maybe the last five to ten years? Because a lot of people don't like the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I mean, the people that don't like the Federal Reserve, I think, don't understand what the purpose of the Federal Reserve is. I mean, the okay. whole goal of the Federal Reserve is to keep booms and busts from being really big and really large and, and really right. small. And, and same thing with inflation. You know, it's, it's, it's much easier to uh, know what you're going to produce tomorrow if you have a stable inflation outlook. If you don't know what the inflation outlook is going to be, if you could expect 10% inflation one year and minus 10% the next year, it's really hard to invest in that type of cycle. It's really hard to understand what production will be like in that cycle. 
So keeping those things more moderate, which is the Fed's goal and which I think they've done a very good job at, you know, allows for business growth to occur without as much, you know, worrisome risk. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, uh, or Jacob Lew, said on Wednesday he warned that Europe risks a lost decade of economic growth without more aggressive efforts to boost demand as the threat of another Eurozone recession risks stalling a fragile global economy or global recovery. Um, is there truth in that statement, in your opinion? Because I don't feel the government – maybe if they start raising interest rates, I'm going to go out and spend a little bit more, like on a, a second home or a third home or a vacation home, but I don't feel that they're pushing me, per se. Well, I mean, what they're saying in Europe is that you have all these you know, labor conditions and structural problems that have not been solved, and you have a deficit in demand. You still have high unemployment in, in many of the peripheral countries. And the countries that are supposed to lead the way of growth, you know, they're doing austerity measures that are preventing that from happening. And so you have countries like Germany that need to spend more. They have too high of a savings rate, and they need to reduce their reliance on exports of goods to other European countries, you know, move ahead and, and grow faster, and they're unwilling to, and that's dragging everybody down. So uh, it's the same liquidity crunch problem that we have here in the U.S. It's the same liquidity crunch problem that you have in Japan that, uh, Thanks. you know. Whoops. That's Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com. Great insights. I felt like I was asking a lot of dumb questions today, but I think he handled them well. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen, ChiefEconomistBriefing.com. Everyone should get a subscription if you're serious about your 401k, your retirement, and much, much more in the financial world. Thanks for listening to the show. I'm Rob Black. Money, investing, and more. I try my best to put together stories that make some sense to you, like five major banks fined $3.3 billion for attempting currency manipulation, black eye for the financial industry, but also kind of a, it's safe to get back in the water. We got those sharks. California is doing something kind of interesting. They're upping the rebates on changing your landscaping to drought-resistant, up to $3 a square foot. Mortgage rates and applications barely moved last week. Total application volumes fell nine-tenths of a percent. I think that's bad news. And I'll tell you why. Ultimately, you have to apply for a mortgage if you're going to buy a home or refinance a home. And refinancing a home puts a little money, extra money in your pocket, usually. Or you're taking money out to you know, put into a project. And that's spurs economic activity. Or if you're buying a home, you're upping the tax base, typically in the, you know, the place you live. Because homes are taxed on how much you paid for it. It's interesting to note. Walmart spreads Black Friday over five days this year. Oh, and by the way, on the mortgage things, if we're not doing new homes and we're not refinancing, it's going to tell you that one of the engines or one of the pistons of growth is slowing. 
Walmart spreads Black Friday over five days. Boo! Yay! I guess if you're going to shop, it's, it's good to know that shopping works out well for you on those levels. Alibaba establishes singles day record. This is surprising to me how fast this came out of nowhere. Three years ago, most people hadn't heard about Alibaba in the financial world. I don't know if your neighbor has, but they will. Singles Day is November 11th, so it's the 11th month and the 11th day. So it's 1111, and Chinese consumers use smartphones and tablet computers to access online services, including e-commerce. Young single Chinese celebrate the loosely defined holiday um, and their single status, but it pulled in $9.3 billion in sales, stomping on the United States Black Friday record as most lucrative online day of shopping. Nike and Disney were winners on that day, as well as Alibaba. One in ten families don't exchange holiday gifts. I find that low. There's a lot of reasons, including that you know some people don't celebrate the holidays or have no one to give. The holiday tab has gotten too expensive. Nearly one in four Americans say the holidays are too expensive. I agree. Um, I think holidays should be about food, family, and that's it. But we've commercialized it. We're, we're bad parents if we don't buy children expensive toys. Yahoo's buying a video ad service, Brightroll, for $460 million. Uh, that's a big purchase. And a lot of Mercer Meyer's purchases have been small, but that's a big one. And the question is, will it pay off? AT&T is pausing on their fiber investments on net neutrality concerns. Their pausing investments bring fiber connections to 100 cities. I think that's a losing idea in large part. Um, I'm shopping today. I've got Verizon. I'm going to shop with Sprint PCS about changing my plan. I'm just kind of tired of, like, how expensive phones have gotten. And I don't really need a perfect web connection anymore on my phone. I don't. I need a good one, but not perfect. Macy's posted a mixed bag, but ultimately it's a loser for the day. Retailer cut its full-year earnings. They beat better-than-expected earnings, but they did that not on top-line sales, but on cost-cutting. Now, again, that's good and bad, but you can only cut so much fat from um, your business model. And I, I think that's worthy of note. Anyhow, and anyway, other big stories of note today. Um, we landed on a comet. Yay! Let's hope that we didn't just awaken some alien nation that's now knows to come to us and destroy us, because I don't think we're ready for that one. Ten years ago, the European Space Agency launched the Rosetta spacecraft to intercept a comet named 67P. For the last decade, it has approached orbit, smelled, and studied the comet, taking thousands of mind-blowing pictures along the way. Lander was scheduled to touch down, and we did it. Um, humans have now landed on a comet. Um, I don't know the value of that, but we've done it. Will Ferrell's trying to put his funnier die site up for up to 100 to $300 million. Um, they're not trying to sell funnier die, but we thought we'd, we'd be wise to engage some experts to help us evaluate the situation, they say. But if you want to bring a briefcase full of cash, please bring it by my office immediately, so says one of the founders. You'll see Zach Galifianakis between two ferns, hilarious. Will Ferrell's the landlord, hilarious. Um, it's content, and it's created, edited, and carved out professionally. 
Um, Google's YouTube and other video sharing sites have gained widespread popularity. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Funny Air Die produced a show for Time Warner's HBO and has collaborated with companies like TBS and Adult Swim on videos and advertising. So they've done a good job of getting advertisers like Under Armour, General Motors, and PepsiCo all involved. I like that story. It's not wildly like, woo, but it's a good story, nonetheless. Um, i got a big event coming up, and I do hope to see you out there. It's my last one of the year, and you never know if you're going to be doing these forever. So it's a real good way to get out there and see people. Um, the event is at Foster City. at a fantastic location. I typically show up an hour before and have a drink at the bar with listeners, and I typically say an hour after. But the event's from 6.30 to 9, Crown Plaza, Foster City, in San Mateo. Um, it's Ten Pillars of Retirement Income Planning. Everyone should know about retirement and how you're going to pay yourself in retirement, whether it's Social Security benefits, whether it's a, you know doing a dividend portfolio that creates enough income for you to live off of. It's all things that you've got to get working on sooner rather than later. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. Similar sign up at robblack.com. It's next Thursday, the 20th, from 6.30 to 9. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.